Welcome to the Dignity of Suffering. Have you ever been brought to your knees by the challenges of life? What if you could enter the world of the therapist, be a fly on the wall, and hear their stories and insights into life's biggest challenges? Discovering a place to learn from the experiences of others who've tried to find dignity in their suffering. Each week, Mitchell Smolkin takes a candid look at the trials and tribulations of being alive. Mitchell is a registered psychotherapist, author and speaker. He hopes to show that slowing down and becoming curious about our human experience can enrich our perspectives and plant our feet more firmly on the ground. Now, here's Mitchell. When I was in my early 30s, my grandmother took a turn for the worst. She was already battling arthritis and had heart issues. She had had a string of bad nights, and so some of us in the family decided to take turns staying over at her place. It was the middle of the night, and I was sleeping on her couch. She loved this couch. She filled it with these huge, fluffy pillows, so really, there was almost no room for you to lie down. She called to me as she needed help to go to the toilet. I don't know what time it was. It must have been three or four in the morning. So I went into her room, and I helped her get seated on the side of her bed. And then she stood up, and she put her hands on my shoulders for support, and I put mine on hers, like we were slow dancing at a school formal. By this stage, she was a diminutive woman, and she was near the end of her life. We walked slowly but surely in a kind of rocking cadence towards the washroom. I remember noting this moment of me holding her and her holding me and us walking slowly together so I could help my grandmother in her late eighties make a pee. <laughs> About halfway, a little smile crept onto her face and her eyes opened up wide and she whispered, we are doing the washroom waltz. I could feel this incredible wave of grace wash over me, as if from somewhere very deep, she had summoned this incredible dignity. There she was battling all kinds of pain and potential humiliation that now her grandson needs to literally hold her up as she makes her way to do her business. And in the middle of all this, she takes care of me. She reaches to another place, the place of the elders, and she lets me know that everything is going to be okay. The dignity of suffering. She ended up passing the way that she wanted to, and I was the first to arrive at her apartment, and I lay with her, and I stroked her hair, and I sang to her. And this moment was etched into my mind, that this woman, facing the last moments of her life, she was able to stay within herself and find language and humor for what she was going through. I have worked for most of my career as a psychotherapist, sitting with people in some of the darkest places in their lives. People who walk into my office and feel utterly confused by what life has handed them. Relationships that started out so well and now feel so wrong. 
jobs that had all the promise of joy and fulfillment and now feel empty and hollow. Children that one loves to pieces and takes care of, but who can often bring up such intense emotionality and reactivity. Never mind guilt. And the huge disappointment and feeling of failure that all of us encounter in these moments when we are overwhelmed and we don't know what to do. This is why I started this podcast, which I called The Dignity of Suffering to grace our life experiences with a dignity that befits all of our efforts, dreams, and innocence when we embark on life's journey, hoping that we land on our feet. The loneliness that so many of us feel when things don't work out or we don't know where to turn next is intense, and it is often without the company of others that we cannot bear to let in the voltage of our pain. What I didn't mention when I talked about my grandmother is that her husband, my grandfather, lost his entire family in the Holocaust. His mother, father, brother, and sister were murdered by the Nazis in 1942. And he, Boris Galgor, went on to have a family, to become a dentist, and to manage to bear, until he reached his 80s, the incredible loss of his loved ones and his home. I published a chapter about his life and looking at the research into intergenerational trauma and grieving in a book entitled In the Shadows of Memory, the Holocaust, and the Third Generation. And if you go to my website, mitchellsmolkin.com, you can download this chapter for free or find a link to purchase the book in its entirety. It was just recently published in paperback this past November. This is my gift to you for joining me in this conversation. Also, just for coming to my site, I will share with you the most important discoveries I have made as a couples therapist after working with thousands of couples from around the world. I spell out strategies and the thinking behind them that I use with every couple that enters my office. It helps couples go from feeling distant and isolated in their relationships to regaining physical intimacy, building families, and creating warm, positive memories that strengthen their bonds and engender hope and stability. Our grief, and more, our ability to let others in to our grief, are intrinsically related to the depth and satisfaction of our loving relationships. And if you stick with me through this podcast, you will hear me talk a lot about how safety, peace, being at ease, is intrinsically tied to grief. That is why often we are very confused. But I can assure you that nothing is wrong when we feel safe and all of a sudden the tears flow. It's like when someone gives you a hug when you're sad or you're mourning someone and all of a sudden, two seconds earlier, you were fine and now you're in tears. That, that is what human relationship is about. That is why human relationship is so difficult because it shines a floodlight on our emotions, on our inner life, and often on states of being that we would rather not share. 
And throughout this podcast, I will zero in on just how important it is to cultivate capacity, awareness, and strength within us to allow the profundity of these emotions in. I have had a passion for reading and thinking about psychology for almost three decades. It started when I was a teenager and I was going through my own turbulence trying to find my footing. I was in my parents' basement, probably in tears, looking for answers. I noticed a small paperback book on the bookshelf entitled Your Erroneous Zones by American's original self-help guru, Dr. Wayne Dyer. I picked it up. The yellow jacket was worn, and I think I read it immediately. To be honest, the content is vague. But I do remember that there was a courage in his writing to face parts of ourselves that we find uncomfortable. And more than that, the process of turning inwards and developing a curiosity about our emotional lives. Dr. Dyer was challenging one to take a look at and scrutinize one's assumptions. And it hooked me. And it started me on the journey of becoming a psychotherapist, author, and speaker in order to help more people tolerate the pain of living and turn our challenges into poetry. There is a very powerful concept in neurology, which is actually at the heart of a lot of what I do. In some ways, it is quite simple. The notion is called name it to tame it. What it means is that when we can name our emotions and put them into language, our brain feels that there is a way out. When they do fMRI tests of people's brains, and they give them language to name the emotional state that they are in, or the emotion of what they are looking at, the amygdala in the brain calms down. Why is this important? This is important because for many of us, we never learned language to describe our feeling states. And for an adult, to not be able to put into words and communicate what they are going through is a tremendously humiliating and difficult experience. No wonder that so many of us, when we feel lost and overwhelmed, either just want to curl up into a ball or we get aggressive and we want to fight. So many of us are walking around in our adult lives and we do not have language for the emotions that we experience. And yes, there's all this talk about failures and our upbringing and parents, and so much of psychotherapy is spent talking about our mothers and fathers and caregivers. And this is very important because it allows us to go back, reconstruct parts of our lives, and have a narrative that we can understand and that can move us forward. But the idea that I am talking about here is this idea that experiences that were pre-verbal, such as loss that we had early on that we couldn't express, emotions that we were faced with that there was no one to talk to about, when these come back up in our relationships, in parenting, at work, when these physical states come back and we cannot name them, it is a huge threat to our stability 
and it makes us anxious. And so this idea, name it to tame it, is kind of like a call to action. And it's not something one can just rush into or force oneself to do. Because the problem is to go into these places where we do not know how we feel is terrifying. I have sat with people many, many times where they just stare into space and they say, I don't know. I don't know why I'm crying. I am not good at talking about my feelings. No, I don't notice that there are tears in my eyes. I sit with many amazing, courageous people who have never learned to put language to what happens in their body. If anything, if anything, we often rush into adulthood trying to get away from these overwhelming and vulnerable feeling states so that we can go make a life, have a job, have a house, have a family. And then all of a sudden, in our relationships or at work or when our children are born, we are faced with such intense situations and we don't know what to do or how to talk about it. So we find ourselves getting upset, we find ourselves pulling away, and we find ourselves acting exactly like our parents did. But that actually makes sense. Because if nobody ever taught us how to respond in situations when we are stuck, if we do not have a vision of how to successfully navigate through those moments, then our backs will go up and we will protect ourselves at all cost. And so I invite you to go on this journey with me, where I will share my experiences as a clinician, interview others, and we can create the space and have the courage to go into these places that challenge us, but allow us to have more room for connection, intimacy, vulnerability, and relationship. In my tradition, the Jewish tradition, we have a notion called the minion, which literally means to count in the original Aramaic. And it refers to the number of people that are needed to be present for certain religious ceremonies, in particular grieving. The intention to this day is that if 10 people are not present, one does not say the prayer for mourning. Dignity. We will catch you if you fall. I remember many years ago, Dr. Gabor Mate, best-selling author, speaker, and mentor on addiction and trauma, who I will have the pleasure of interviewing for the official launch of this podcast on Tuesday, June 8th, 2021, spoke about Circle of Kin. He was talking about loneliness in our society. He made the point that the smaller the circle of kin is, the harder it is to deal with pain. We often do not live in societies or cultures anymore where we give birth to our children, for instance, and there are aunts and uncles and neighbors to whom we pass the baby when we are tired or who live with us in our homes like our grandparents, who can let us sleep. And we know 
there is a loving warm body that our children can cuddle up to at 3 a.m. No. The modern parent who may take a work contract overseas, perhaps moving to a big city for work, maybe just living far away, or obviously in the pandemic, ends up doing a lot of things on their own. And aside from all these things, there is a strong impulse to be independent, to, to take care of ourselves. There is an incredible feeling of failure, which often happens in silence when one feels alone and desperate. Just this week, I was working with a couple, and he opened up about how often, when he was overwhelmed, he would just want to go lie down and not talk to anybody. And I wondered, why? What's going on for you? And this incredible man had the courage, next to his wife, to say, you know, if I acknowledge that I am not okay, if I admit that something is wrong, then I'm weak. I have failed in my duty to provide to take care of, and in that instance, I become a burden. Now, this may sound old-fashioned, this may sound gendered, but these instincts within us, to be able to stand on our own two feet and handle whatever comes our way, is very powerful. And in many respects, this instinct is what sends us out into the world and allows us to succeed. But this instinct also gets in the way when we need to let someone in and we need someone to take care of us. And so this man turned to his wife and told her that one of the reasons he used to shut down for all those years was because he was so afraid he would burden her with his pain and he would come across as being weak and tears flowed down her face. And she said to him, you know, all that time I thought you were mad at me, but for you to let me in, for you to help me understand what you're going through, it puts me at ease and I can take care of you. This is the kind of courage and experience that I want to share with you in this podcast. This podcast is intended to be a conversation, to build a community, and to interview and bring forth great minds who have dedicated their lives to helping us develop a curiosity about our experience so we can bear the unbearable, say the unsayable, and live with dignity, so we too can do the washroom waltz when all else fails. I have had the great fortune of meeting so many people who have this profound sensibility, including my next guest, who I will interview on the second podcast, Charlene Jones, who helped me in my life when I did not know where to turn. She put structures around what I was going through that at the time, I didn't appreciate how powerful they were. But looking back, she gave a dignity to my suffering 
that has stayed with me all these years later. And I can't wait to share her with you and have her talk about and explore how she came to know the necessity of making this a reality for others. I found out later that Dr. Wayne Dyer's book, Your Erroneous Zones, was the book that saved my father's life. When I was not a year old, my uncle, my father's brother, committed suicide. He felt ostracized at work, he was overweight, and he felt alone. The last thing he said to my father was, my life is shit. And the next thing my dad knew, he was cleaning out his brother Harold Smolkin's house of all of his belongings. My father brought many of these belongings to our home. They were in the basement where I found this book. He had had magic sets and musical instruments and memorabilia from the First and Second World Wars, swords and guns that had been long decommissioned. It was like a wonderland going through these possessions for me as a child. Little did I know the true significance of them being there all these years later. My father told me that he once stood in the balcony and wanted to jump, but he decided not to, and a social worker helped him deal with his pain so he could go on. My father is a very gentle man, and I think out of these experiences, family became for him his highest value. Every time him and I would get on the highway to drive to the cottage and the noise of the city and the rat race faded away, my father would talk about his brother. I can actually imagine the very place on the highway where all of a sudden I would look over and memories would come back. It took the farm fields and the sounds of birds for Harold's memory to rise to the surface and my father to almost sing about his brother's memory. The music I chose for this podcast is a meditation on the Yiddish song Until Deine Weisse Stehen, Under Your White Starry Heaven, recorded by the great Argentinian wind player Marcello Mogolevsky for an album I created in 2008 called The Song is Born. In addition to being a psychotherapist, I have a career as a singer and actor, and I toured this music around the world for a number of years. If you're interested, you can listen to the entire album on Spotify or Apple Music or wherever you listen to music. The writer of that piece, Avram Sutzkever, he survived the Holocaust in Vilnius, where my family is from, and he went on to become one of the greatest poets of his generation. An amazing story was that during the war, when he had to hide, he found a coffin and locked himself inside. But because writing for him was the only thing keeping him alive, he etched his poetry onto the inside of the wood lid with a nail in order to survive. This, this is what I want to bring to this podcast. This is what I see in people's eyes when they come into my office 
and we reach into these places that they have been dying to talk about. This is in all of us, the part of us like Avram Sotskever, who feel locked inside, and we just want a way to write down the words that nobody else has seen. If I leave you with anything on this first episode, it is the need for all of us to find the poetry in our lives, to struggle to etch out the words or sounds of our pain when we are struggling and we are lost. And, and additionally, the dignity of being able to doing that with others. I do not have any quick fixes. I do not have any ready-made answers for you. If this is what you came for, unfortunately, you may be disappointed. But what I can offer is the space, the drive on the highway where the city fades away and we melt together into a conversation, into a space that may have not existed before. And perhaps then we find a new way of talking and feeling our way through this moment so that we are better equipped to reach out to our loved ones, to ourselves, and to turn our fears into kindness, bringing a sense of dignity to our suffering so we just feel a little less alone. Welcome to the Dignity of Suffering podcast. I remain faithfully yours.